0: On the night of August 4th, 1964, Captain Le Duy Quai patrolled the Gulf of Tonkin. He and the other North Vietnamese fighters were on edge. They knew that there were American enemy ships in sight. An invasion felt imminent.
1: Just then, Quai heard a boom. In the distance, a bright light flashed. A battle had begun.
0: Yet the captain was confused. The North Vietnamese had no plans to ambush the Americans that night. If they hadn't fired it, who did?
1: Quai sprinted to headquarters and ordered his communications officer to connect him with their Chinese allies. He reasoned that China must have engaged the Americans without alerting North Vietnam.
0: But the Chinese officer on the other line sounded just as surprised as Quai. He said he thought the North Vietnamese had launched the attack.
1: Quai stared out into the Gulf as dozens of cannons fired. Red flares blanketed the sky. It looked like an all-out war.
0: Little did he know that it was only being fought by one side, the Americans.
1: Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And I'm Carter Roy. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded,
0: skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong, sometimes the official version is the truth.
1: But sometimes it's not.
0: You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our second episode on the Gulf of Tonkin. In 1964, the United States Navy reported a North Vietnamese ambush on its destroyers. After the battle, the U.S. escalated its military presence in the country, essentially marking the beginning of the Vietnam War.
0: Last time, we examined how Cold War paranoia and the fear of communism spreading led to U.S. involvement in Vietnam. Then we covered what supposedly transpired on the night of August 4th and how the White House retaliated for the alleged attack.
1: This episode, will analyze two conspiracy theories surrounding the battle. First, we'll consider whether it didn't actually happen and was instead the result of mistaken radar transmissions. Then, we'll determine whether LBJ and his cabinet lied about the Gulf of Tonkin to gain power and win re-election.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. with betterhelp visit betterhelp.com/conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp h e l p.com/conspiracy there's a new class of blockbuster drugs drugs like ozempic they're changing bodies and all of a sudden just the weight If you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams, who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: After World War II, the threat of communism loomed over the United States. In 1949, China's government fell to communism. And that same year, the Soviet Union successfully tested an atomic bomb. For the next few decades, Americans were consumed by fear of a nuclear war and the decay of Western democracy.
0: By 1964, this fear had increased exponentially. On the other side of the world, Vietnam entered a civil war where Northern communists battled for power against a US-backed South Vietnamese government.
1: That year, President Lyndon B. Johnson felt it necessary to increase the U.S. Navy's presence on the coast of Vietnam as a warning to the North Vietnamese. Everyone on both sides of the Pacific knew that if these troops attacked, the U.S. would formally enter the Vietnam War. So, for months, naval destroyers the size of football fields just bobbed in the sea, waiting for the Pentagon's go-ahead.
0: And finally, August 4th, Washington gave its okay.
1: That night, two naval destroyers stationed in the Gulf of Tonkin reported attacks by North Vietnamese torpedo boats. For hours, Americans engaged in direct combat with the enemy. The next day, President Johnson ordered retaliatory strikes against North Vietnam. By the following year, America had officially entered the war and sent thousands of soldiers to the country.
0: In many ways, the Gulf of Tonkin incident on August 4th, 1964, was the catalyst for the United States entering one of its most deadly wars. But it
1: may not have ever occurred.
0: Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory. The North Vietnamese didn't attack the United States Navy on the night of August 4th. Instead, mistaken radar transmissions tricked the military into thinking that they were being ambushed.
1: In the years following the Gulf of Tonkin incident, some officials started to doubt whether the ambush actually took place. Then, in 2005 and 2006, the National Security Agency declassified nearly 200 documents related to the incident, and they were damning. There were thousands
0: of pages in this release, all muddled with complex military lingo, but one report stood out from the rest. A 1998 analysis from former NSA researcher and former Department of Defense employee Robert Hanyuk.
1: He was the first person to examine all of the intercepted intelligence communications related to the alleged attack. These messages, frequently called SIGINTs, were important artifacts of the battle that launched America into the Vietnam War.
0: Hanyuk's research was guided by a simple hypothesis. If the August 4th ambush actually happened, then the North Vietnamese transmissions would reflect that. He researched dozens of SIGINT's sent in early August, but a couple specific messages stand out.
1: First, SIGINT 1.
0: In the early evening on August 4th, the US military intercepted a message between North Vietnamese boats and their command posts. It read, quote, "Operation planned against the Desoto patrol." Remember, the Desoto patrols were American ships.
1: Almost immediately, intelligence officials relayed this message to the USS Maddox and put their commanders on high alert.
0: And that night, when the crew of the USS Maddox and its sister ship, the Turner Joy, saw blips on their radars, they fired
1: back. But there's a flaw in both the interpretation of this SIGINT and the response to it. Usually, SIGINTs give clear instructions with specific objectives and targets for attack. As Hanyuk pointed out in his report, this SIGINT was short and vague.
0: And Hanyuk's research suggests the message may have been mistranslated.
1: According to Hanyuk, the linguists who deciphered these messages were incredibly green. They'd only been out of language school for a year or two. In other words, they were inexperienced in wartime translations.
0: As the SIGINT came in, their commanding officers likely barked at them to complete the translation as fast as possible. Lives depended on it. Hanyuk believed the young language specialists were under tremendous stress, making it possible that they botched a few of the interpretations.
1: In the original Vietnamese version of Sigint One, the phrase Han Quan appears. This was translated as military operations, but Hanyuk said this has alternate interpretations, either forced movement or long march, which means the SIGINT could be referring to the journeys of Vietnamese boats, not an ambush of U.S. naval destroyers.
0: Adding fuel to the fire, the other SIGINT from the night of August 4th gave a clear directive to North Vietnamese ships, avoid the U.S. naval destroyers. For some reason though, The U.S. naval destroyers either ignored this transmission or never received it from their communications center.
1: Hanyuk also discovered that another message indicated that the North Vietnamese were busy salvaging their own boats in the Gulf.
0: Remember, personnel on the Turner Joy spotted lights about 10 miles away from their own ship that night. Those eyewitness accounts were later used as proof that the enemy had been firing at American ships. But this SIGINT suggests that those lights were actually the Vietnamese looking for their own damaged boats. So this discovery by Hanyuk undercuts the Americans' account of events.
1: We can also consider the SIGINT, which the Johnson administration referred to in the days after the battle, as more proof that the ambush took place. In this SIGINT, which we'll call the third report, sent at 11.54 PM after the attacks, Vietnamese forces claimed they'd sacrificed two boats.
0: At the time, this message seemed to corroborate Captain Herrick's initial report to his commander that the U.S. had
1: sunk two enemy boats. However, Hanyuk doubted the validity of the after-action report for a couple reasons. First, the U.S. had also intercepted an after-action report for the small skirmish on August 2nd. During this brief battle, Hanyuk said that the United States detected a sigint between North Vietnamese boats and their commanders that confirmed American naval locations, communicated orders, and gave status reports. This showed that North Vietnam had private communications that confirmed an actual battle had taken place.
0: But the third report looked nothing like this. Whereas the earlier report listed the names of the individual boats involved in the skirmish and significant times of
1: certain movements, the third report was short and vague. To Hanyuk, it was clear that the US had misinterpreted the so-called after action report. If it had been a real authentic account of the events, it would have been longer, especially given how much allegedly happened in the Gulf of Tonkin incident.
0: There's also evidence that this communication was, once again, mistranslated. Hanyuk found that the message distributed to the White House referred to the sinking of two North Vietnamese boats. But the original intercepted account actually referenced the loss of two comrades. This makes it seem like the Vietnamese were communicating about lost men and the text could have been referencing the August 2nd incident or a separate event somewhere in the country. Whatever the case, the language was ambiguous.
1: The researcher also looked at a final SIGINT that referenced events before and after the August 4th incident. Two days after the Gulf of Tonkin attack, a North Vietnamese base transmitted a SIGINT with a full recap of the last few days of fighting with the Americans.
0: This account referred to multiple events. It detailed the facts of August 2nd with specificity and accuracy. And it also referred to the battle on August 5th, when American warplanes retaliated for the Gulf of Tonkin incident.
1: What was obviously missing were details of the August 4th incident. There was no mention of it at all. On that date, there appeared to be no North Vietnamese efforts, losses or incidents.
0: For the researcher that meant one thing, the Gulf of Tonkin incident never happened.
1: It wasn't just the intercepted messages or the lack thereof that made American historians doubt the Gulf of Tonkin facts. There were eyewitness accounts at the scene of the attack and they claimed they didn't see a single enemy ship that night.
0: Coming up, Captain Herrick reverses his account. Hi, it's Carter, and I'm very excited to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, ParCast is releasing its first book. It's titled, "Cults: Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. It's based on the popular cults podcast that my friends Greg and Vanessa host. And starting right now, You can pre-order it at parcast.com slash cults. With the benefit of years of research and insights, this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson Family, and more. Exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. If you're a true crime fan, this book is a must-read. So, don't wait. There are limited copies available. Head to parcast.com slash cults now to pre-order cults, inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast. Now, back to the story.
1: When historians began dissecting what intelligence spurred US destroyers to retaliate in the Gulf of Tonkin, they came up short. In fact, there seemed to be firsthand accounts that proved the opposite, that there weren't any enemy ships on the night of August 4th.
0: Shortly after the USS Maddox supposedly saw enemies on radar, Captain Herrick called in additional air support from a nearby carrier, One of the pilots who flew that day was James Stockdale.
1: By 1964, Stockdale had been in the Navy for nearly 20 years. He was widely considered one of the most experienced pilots in the military. Years later, following the Vietnam War, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. In other words, he was a highly skilled pilot who was admired for his integrity.
0: In August, 1964, he was stationed outside of Vietnam. After receiving the command from Captain Herrick on August 4th, Stockdale rushed to his plane and took off for the scene of the battle. He flew over the Gulf at around 9.30 PM, just about when the Maddox and Turner Joy began firing at the enemy boats.
1: Back on the boat, Herrick and his crew struggled to make out anything through the six foot waves and ferocious storm. But above, Stockdale claimed he had a perfect view. He could see both the naval destroyers clear as day. However, he didn't see any enemy boats.
0: The pilot watched the American ships bombard the water with round after round of heavy artillery. He couldn't understand what they were shooting at.
1: This memory stuck with him because even five years after the battle, Stockdale went on record saying he saw nothing below him but, quote, black water and American firepower.
0: It's not clear whether he raised these concerns internally during the incident. It seems likely, though, that even if he did, they would have fallen on deaf ears.
1: Stockdale wasn't the only one who didn't see the enemy. Patrick Park, The officer in charge of directing guns aboard the Maddox also couldn't see anything through the storm. Over and over, the radar operator shouted out new targets in the water, but just as fast as they'd appear, they'd vanish from the screen.
0: Park had a good amount of experience as a gun director. He also had experience working with sonar. Yet every time he tried locking on to an enemy that night, they kept slipping out of his sight. In fact, the only ship he was able to track was the Turner Joy, the Maddox's sister
1: ship. By the end of the battle, it was clear to Park that there couldn't have been another boat out in the Gulf. Like in Stockdale's case, it's not clear whether Park reported this concern to his superiors or how that reporting may have been handled back at the Pentagon.
0: However, the evidence that caused the most doubt came from the captain of the USS Maddox, John J.
1: Herrick. Herrick was the one who reported the attack to the Pentagon. At first, he believed the blips on the radar represented North Vietnamese boats or even torpedoes. But as the night wore on, the captain had a striking realization.
0: Each time the Maddox turned or changed direction, its sonar picked up what sounded like torpedoes. Upon closer listening, though, it appeared the sound that they'd interpreted as a torpedo was actually coming from the ship's rudder. Perhaps the weather was interfering with their equipment.
1: Within an hour after the incident, the captain walked back his initial claims about the attack. He blamed the violent weather and his overeager eager sonarmen for thinking the enemy was upon them.
0: Still, the Maddox and Turner Joy were among the most advanced naval warships of their time, Misinterpreting rudder noises for North Vietnamese boats seems like a rookie mistake.
1: Well, just a month later, the same thing happened to two other American ships. In mid-September, two naval destroyers sailed off the North Vietnamese coast and picked up enemy ships on the radar. They believed they were under attack.
0: The destroyers increased speed and tried to turn away from the incoming boats. When the enemy got close enough, the ships opened fire. For some reason though, the North Vietnamese boats never seemed to fire back or even speed up. They just moved steadily with the two American vessels.
1: The US destroyers fired nearly 300 rounds of ammunition and reportedly sank at least five North Vietnamese boats, but there was no physical proof of the altercation.
0: After a battle like this, you'd expect to see debris or signs of oil runoff in the water. But the next day, when American sailors went to investigate the scene of the attack, they found none of that. There was no evidence that they had sunk even a single ship. This is very similar to the story of August 4th.
1: When concerns about the validity of the August 4th incident grew, Congress held a hearing to discuss what actually happened on that fateful night. And Captain Herrick was a star witness.
0: On January 10, 1968, Congress began an investigation on the Gulf of Tonkin incident. And surprisingly, while under oath during these closed hearings, Herrick claimed the attacks had occurred. This was a complete 180 from what he'd said back in 1964, though we may know why his perspective changed yet again. Perhaps with the Vietnam War still raging, Herrick didn't want to do anything to go against the US government.
1: But Herrick was a Navy captain. I don't think he'd lie under oath when his reputation was on the line.
0: And there were other sailors who'd served in the Gulf that also claimed that they'd fought the North Vietnamese that day. In their accounts, they pointed to the searchlights spotted in the distance. Additionally, one officer even said he saw black
1: smoke coming from one of the damaged ships. With these accounts, this seems to be the angle that the US government has taken ever since. Even today, it refuses to admit that the Gulf of Tonkin might not have happened as they originally said it did.
0: Like so many others, I'm not sure I buy the government's story. In the years following the incident, a lot of evidence has emerged. And it all seems to suggest the same thing. The August 4th confrontation in the Gulf of Tonkin never occurred. For example, the intercepted SIGINT doesn't provide any details about the attack from the North Vietnamese perspective. In fact, the messages about August 4th that are meant to confirm the attack are vague and devoid of details.
1: Right. I find it hard to believe North Vietnamese intelligence would fail to document such a lengthy altercation with American ships.
0: For me, the most compelling piece of evidence is the conflicting accounts from people who were actually at the scene. In the sky, pilot James Stockdale only saw the two destroyers and no enemy boats. I think he had the best view of the incident that
1: night. That's true. Plus, Patrick Park and Captain Herrick believed the sonar was malfunctioning because of the weather. Park said explicitly that he didn't think anything could have been in those waters. He said the only ship the USS Maddox locked onto was the Turner Joy.
0: Even though the US government has stood by this event for decades, I'm not sure it actually occurred. I think mistranslations, a faulty sonar and poor weather made crew members believe they were under attack from the North Vietnamese. On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I'm going to give this theory a nine.
1: It's certainly difficult to ignore all of this evidence against the incident. There was no debris in the water. Plus, we recounted how a very similar mistake happened a month later. But because some of the crew testified under oath that the battle actually happened, I'm going to go a bit lower. While I still have a lot of questions, I also don't think these respected military officials would intentionally perjure themselves. I'm gonna give this theory a seven.
0: Despite a lot of uncertainty surrounding the Gulf of Tonkin, the United States government used it as justification to escalate their military presence in Vietnam
1: which made some people start to wonder if the Gulf of Tonkin wasn't just an accident or whether it may have been a deliberate lie.
0: Coming up, a possible presidential cover-up. Now back to the story.
1: On August 4th, 1964, the Pentagon and White House learned of an alleged North Vietnamese attack on U.S. ships in the Gulf of Tonkin. Before launching any serious investigation into the incident, the U.S. retaliated.
0: Within hours of the attack, Johnson ordered the bombing of North Vietnamese fuel facilities and naval forces. And just days later, Congress passed a resolution that gave the president unprecedented military power to pursue military intervention in the case of an attack.
1: But as information came to light about what actually happened in the Gulf of Tonkin though, some people started to wonder if the administration knew the attack didn't occur all along and told the American people otherwise.
0: Which brings us to our second and final conspiracy theory. The Johnson administration knew the Gulf of Tonkin incident didn't happen, but used it to increase their military power, invade Vietnam, and win re election.
1: After John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson took the oath for the United States' highest political office. And even though he'd been one of Kennedy's closest advisors, Johnson had a different M.O. than his predecessor. LBJ still placed high value on domestic issues, like passing civil rights legislation, but he was far more aggressive when it came to pursuing foreign policy. Johnson had a long career in Washington before arriving at the White House and had never wavered in his commitment to fight communism at home and abroad.
0: So over the next few months, Johnson increased American support to the South Vietnamese by training them, providing weapons, and even performing undercover operations.
1: During this time period, US citizens were torn about entering the Vietnam War. On one hand, the threat of North Vietnam's communist regime was more than enough reason to get involved. But on the other, Many Americans didn't think the United States should engage in a foreign conflict.
0: In May, 1964, LBJ had a conversation with Senator Richard Russell, one of his closest advisors. During that call, Russell told LBJ to back out of Vietnam as soon as possible. He claimed the American public couldn't stomach another war and that the entire situation was a complete mess.
1: When Johnson asked him how important it was to fight in Vietnam, Russell responded, quote, it isn't important a damn bit, unquote. The Senator predicted that Americans would risk their lives for no apparent gain. Vietnam was a no-win situation.
0: Ignoring this advice, LBJ stationed the Navy in the waters right outside of Vietnam.
1: 1964 was after all an election year and the cold war with the soviet union was looming large as ever. johnson had long held an inferiority complex about how he'd risen to the presidency and wanted not only to secure a re-election but do it in a sweeping landslide.
0: to do that, he'd need all the wind at his back that he could get, a massive show of strength like demonstrating that the us might not stand by if attacked by a communist power might just be his ticket to a second term.
1: To prepare for that eventuality, months before an attack even happened, LBJ developed a plan to escalate U.S. military involvement in Vietnam when the time came. Through the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, the president would ultimately be given the unprecedented ability to declare war in the event of an attack without approval from Congress.
0: First though, Johnson needed to find a way to get the country on his side. Americans wouldn't want to get into a costly war unless North Vietnam looked like a serious threat, but it also couldn't look like the U.S. provoked the North Vietnamese.
1: So in July, 1964, the U.S. government engaged in covert missions in North Vietnam. During these interventions, American troops conducted coastal and air raids of North Vietnamese military facilities. Johnson kept the American sabotage operations a complete secret from U.S. citizens. But North Vietnam's intelligence knew exactly who was to blame. Whether it was intentional or inadvertent, the U.S. military provoked the communist country.
0: So finally, after months of sabotage, North Vietnam had enough. On August 2nd, they launched a strike on the USS Maddox in the Gulf of Tonkin.
1: It's not clear why the Johnson administration didn't make much of this initial incident. But they didn't retaliate or even inform the American public of the skirmish. Still, two days later... When the Pentagon informed Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, that they'd intercepted North Vietnamese Sigint, referring to another planned attack on U.S. ships, the White House jumped into action.
0: In our first theory, we examined why this communication may not have been an actual ambush plan, but maybe that didn't matter much to the Johnson administration.
1: When McNamara informed President Johnson about the possible ambush, Johnson simply asked McNamara how soon the United States could hit the North Vietnamese back. The Secretary of Defense said as soon as the Commander-in-Chief ordered it. Then he provided a list of targets.
0: At that point, according to one of McNamara's assistants, even before the North Vietnamese attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin, There was no doubt Johnson would give the air raid command. It was only a matter of time. The US had finally found its excuse to go to war.
1: Sure enough, hours later, they received word the North Vietnamese had engaged with their ships. Immediately, the administration worked with the joint chiefs to select enemy targets and retaliate. Meanwhile, Robert McNamara had a secret conversation with a Navy Admiral.
0: Around 4 p.m., McNamara called Admiral Grant Sharp, who was Captain Herrick's immediate superior. This meant he was receiving all of the captain's reports from the Gulf of Tonkin.
1: When McNamara called him, the Admiral said that Herrick had doubts the attack even took place. The Secretary of Defense asked if there was a chance the incident never even happened, Sharp said there was a slight possibility.
0: At that point, he told McNamara that issues with radar, inexperienced sonar men, and a lack of visibility could have tricked the USS Maddox and USS Turner Joy into misreading the situation. In other words, the US Navy might have been
1: wrong. But perhaps not wanting to completely dismiss an imminent threat, In a later call, Sharp also pointed to the SIGINT message that said two North Vietnamese boats had been destroyed as proof it did happen.
0: McNamara chose to believe the latter part of Sharp's assessment, that the SIGINT confirmed the reality of the attack. The Secretary of Defense knew there was a possibility the incident never happened, but he and LBJ still agreed to authorize an airstrike that night on North Vietnamese naval forces and facilities and finally at 11:37 p.m. that evening LBJ went on TV to tell the American public about the events
1: in front of the entire country Johnson called the ambush of the USS Maddox open aggression He implied that the attack was completely unprovoked and cast the U.S. as the victim of hostility.
0: Privately, after the speech, McNamara and Johnson debriefed with each other about the Gulf of Tonkin. Upon reviewing the facts, they acknowledged a few things they planned to keep secret from the public.
1: First, the attack was likely provoked. Even though the two had officially stated the incident wasn't, in private, Johnson and McNamara admitted U.S. operations in the months prior had likely triggered North Vietnamese aggression.
0: It's possible they lied to sell the escalation of troops. If ordinary Americans knew that the United States provoked the alleged attack, maybe the people wouldn't have supported an airstrike.
1: McNamara's stance held strong even four years later when he stood before the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. In 1968, He said the U.S. government wasn't aware of any South Vietnamese operations that could have caused the Gulf of Tonkin incident. In truth, he participated in planning many covert missions with South Vietnam.
0: However, the most significant piece of evidence may have come right after the alleged attack in 1964. After Johnson had a few days to review the evidence and testimonies from sailors, The president himself apparently suggested that the Gulf of Tonkin incident may not have ever happened.
1: LBJ reportedly told State Department official George Ball that quote, hell, those dumb, stupid sailors were just shooting at flying fish, unquote. This exclamation seemed to indicate that the president knew the Gulf skirmish was a lie.
0: And yet he never shared that knowledge with the American people. In public, he kept up the story that the North Vietnamese ambushed the U.S. Navy.
1: As it was, the incident provided a window for the president to make headway on the Tonkin Gulf Resolution. Just three days after the alleged ambush, LBJ brought the resolution to Congress. He'd been working on the law for months and finally, there was an opportunity to get it passed.
0: The situation in Vietnam felt extremely urgent to those in Congress. So even though the law gave the president previously unheard of military power, the law passed with an overwhelming majority.
1: Those who opposed the resolution were widely criticized as un-American. The pair of senators who voted against the bill were defeated in their next election bid. But for Johnson, the architect of the law, it became a major political victory.
0: Three months after the legislation passed, Johnson won re-election by landslide, securing 434 more electoral college votes than his opponent.
1: It was one of the largest landslides in US presidential election history. Some historians have theorized that amongst his other campaign strategies, LBJ could thank the Gulf of Tonkin incident for four more years in the Oval Office.
0: According to 1964 polls, Before August 4th, just 42% of Americans approved of LBJ's handling of the Vietnam situation. After the alleged ambush though, that number rose to
1: 72%. And 85% of people specifically supported the way Johnson responded to the Gulf of Tonkin. If he'd hoped military action would score him a political win, he was right.
0: It seems like LBJ was intent on sending troops to Vietnam, no matter what. First, he ignored the warnings of Senator Russell. Then, even before the incident took place, he and McNamara authorized raids in North Vietnam. To them, it didn't seem to matter whether a North Vietnamese provocation actually took place. It seems clear that Johnson was looking for an excuse to enter the war because he knew it could have political payoffs.
1: That may be true. After all, he and his advisors drew up the Tonkin Gulf resolution well before any ambush provoked a US response.
0: Johnson's alleged comment just a few days after the alleged skirmish also sticks with me. He thought the sailors were just shooting at flying fish. At that point, he must have suspected the incident didn't happen. This would have been the time to pivot and correct what he told the American public, but he didn't. He continued to escalate the US presence in Vietnam over the next four years.
1: That's fair, but many historians believe that in 1964, the Vietnam War was inevitable. The United States already had a naval presence outside the country and ran undercover operations with the South Vietnamese. Plus, just two days before the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the North Vietnamese did attack the USS Maddox. If we're looking at this from a macro perspective, it's not so surprising that the Johnson administration struck when it did. It seemed like it was only a matter of time.
0: Uh, I see what you mean. However, if the threat in North Vietnam really was that pressing, the administration could have taken the angle that it was simply the time to act. Instead, both LBJ and McNamara seemingly went out of their way to deceive the American public about provocation for the attack and whether the ambush actually took place. Rather than thoroughly investigate before taking action, they launched an immediate retaliatory strike the administration didn't seem very interested in the truth. On a scale of one to 10, I'm going to give this theory a
1: seven. I see your point. It's disturbing to know that LBJ discovered the incident may not have happened just days after retaliating. On the other hand though, many of his advisors were telling him that the attack really did happen. Remember, Admiral Sharp told McNamara the ambush had probably occurred. It seems like all this information was passed up to Johnson and he was caught in the middle trying to decide what was actually true. Ultimately, I find it hard to believe that a US president would so desperately want to become a wartime president. So I'm gonna give this theory a five.
0: To this day, some people still believe the Gulf of Tonkin incident took place. Others are positive it never occurred. Until further intelligence is released, we may never know for sure what happened that stormy summer night off the North Vietnamese
1: coast. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more information on the Gulf of Tonkin incident, amongst the many sources we used, we found Robert J. Hanyuk's paper, Skunks, Bogies, Silent Hounds, and the Flying Fish, extremely helpful to our research.
0: We'll be back next time with a new episode.
1: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
0: And the official story isn't always the truth.
1: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alex Bernard, with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Mackenzie Moore. Fact checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.
0: Hi, it's Carter, and I'm very excited to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, ParCast is releasing its first book. It's titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. It's based on the popular Cults podcast that my friends Greg and Vanessa host. And starting right now, you can pre-order it at parcast.com cults. With the benefit of years of research and insights, this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson Family, and more. Exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. If you're a true crime fan, this book is a must-read. So, don't wait. There are limited copies available. Head to parcast.com slash cults now to pre-order cults, inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast.